Simply King Podcast. This is your boy Rodney Perry King himself, and you just tuned in to the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for humans simply being humans. And today is a special one. As always, I have a very, very special guest here with me, um, a returning guest that you all love. I know you did. You don't got to tell me. I know you did. Um, and I'm so glad to have him back. Um, I have here with me doctoral candidate man of Morehouse and a person whose name is so it's like it's, it matches the academia that he said you know that he that you that you <laughs> earning right now like because once you put the doctor in front of that whoo, 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 you need to be walking around with bow ties bruh <laughs> welcome welcome back uh <laughs> Chessmore Simon Montique <laughs> yeah, perfectly. I hear that all the time, man. And people always tell me I can't use my full name until I get them three letters. Oh man, that is I'm telling you, it's gonna be dope. It's gonna be just dope. Dr. Mon yeah. that that shit, look, it's gonna fly. You might you might in your old age, which is like your old publisher, you might want to just go by a different moniker, like your initials or something. Bro, C S Montique. I already got figured out. That I'm shit, Dr. C S Montique. <laughs> or CS Montique PhD. This is just a bunch oh, of letters man. where your name is just the only thing that's a word. Cold. Cold. <laughs> that's cold. That's cold. That's 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 real academia right there. But no, no, no. Let's catch up. It's um we're uh, recording a few days after uh Valentine's Day, and you are the black loveologist, so I will be remiss to not ask you. How was your Valentine's Day? Oh man, uh, so Valentine's Day was good. Uh, mine is a little delayed, or I'm in a long distance relationship. My partner, uh, JRCDSLP, gotta give her a shout out. Hey, uh, but DC, so uh, she's coming down. Uh, what's today? When is she's coming down? Uh, this this weekend, so I'm I'm getting my actual Valentine's Day celebration weekly, but it's right on time, right on time. So I'm looking forward to it. I got some stuff planned. Um, I'm assuming this will be out after next week, yeah, it will. It will. So I guess I can say it on here. Yeah, you can but say whatever you want. Basically, uh, basically to do all five of the love languages, man. I'm gonna do one for each of them for her. Um, that way she she get it all. We ain't, we ain't got to pick and choose. We are gonna get them all, and uh, she's gonna be here for a little while, so I don't have to squeeze it into one day. So I'm gonna take my time and just love on her. You know, just love on her, man. That's long distance relationship. You gotta get it in when you can, man. Yeah, and it, that's interesting. I, I've been in a I've been in a handful of long distance relationships, and um. I have kind of sworn off of them at this point in time mm -hmm. um, in so many ways. Cause I think for me now I'm in, I'm just, I'm just in a space and place where I'm like, if, if we're going to be long distance, we can be long distance for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Like I think I've done the, like, let's be long distance until it doesn't, until we can like work it out and make it make sense. But now that I'm like we're getting close to thirty and shit, it's like, look, I'm I'm gonna move a motherfucking mountain at this point. Like I don't care <laughs> because um, it, it's 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 cute and it's doable when it when it makes sense and if you have yeah. a timeline for the end of it all. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? But when I think that's what that's what helps. Out. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say that's I think that's the key point, right? Like you gotta have deadlines, right? Like 
when's the next time I'm going to see you? We're always planning, looking forward to the next thing and understanding this isn't like, there's not this gray area question mark, what happens, right? Like we know what's going to happen. And I think that's what makes it work. So yeah. 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 So I think that's why I don't um, like, I think that's why I like have an adverse feeling about them. Like obviously connections are connections. I'm, I'm, I'm still yeah. much, still much a, a yeah, he doesn't ruin this. I'm definitely a lover boy <laughs> of sorts. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a always fuck around and like find a way to reconsider. Like, man, like this is a vibe. So let me. Mm, is it really that far? Oh, I can I can figure this out. We can work this out. Uh, it just depends. It just depends. But uh, but that's dope. And I, it's funny. I literally that was my suggestion to people last year. Um, was um, the five love languages when it comes to uh, giving gifts. If you didn't know what to give your person, was to mm-hmm. uh, think about what their love language is and just craft their gift based off of that. And I gave a few examples. You can check it out on my TikTok. Because um, it still it still holds true with any type of gift for any type of, any any time of year. But Valentine's Day, especially since we're talking love on love. Um but how you been since we talked? Like how how's life been with everything else? How's school, especially because we yeah, need that doctor, yeah. you know, CS Monty, you know, we need the PhD. Get it, get <laughs> yeah. So things are going well. School is school, you know, long distance sucks, but making it through. Uh making it through. I think the PhD program in general is like an isolating experience. Yes, yeah. I mean for me at least perspective wise middle of nowhere coming from major cities throughout my life. Yeah. But we're almost there. We're almost there. I feel like uh I'm close to the end of the line. Actually, this upcoming Friday is match day. So the same way, like, uh, doctoral students, they do, like, a match day, and they find out where they're going for residency. We do the same process for our internship here. Okay. So I'm actually Friday. So I'm looking to figure out where I'm going to go uh, for that last year. And after that that last year is pretty much just, like, work, like a nine to five, just doing, like, clinical stuff. Being that makes sense. A therapist. Um, and I'll be doing my coursework. So regardless, though, I, like, this is my last semester. So it's, it's nice to feel like, okay, I can see the the light, right? The other side, I'm getting that much closer. So I, you know, I feel like I'm on my last hundred. I'm coming around that bend. Um, so after Friday, it'll be nice to kind of have a little more direction on what's, what's happening next and start preparing for that. Hey, I like that. I like that. Um, okay. 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 That's good. That's good. That's good. Okay. So let us, cause I did, I feel like I put it in the outline. If I, if, if it's, if you missed it, you'll experience it for the first time with me um but let's get into the twitter check-in all right let me get this sound going all right so today's twitter check-in is actually uh pretty much about this phrase that we hear so much about and that is the whole Men are trash, right? But I wanted to see and kind of do some comparison studies. You know what I'm saying? We're still in mm-hmm. school here. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, today's, because I like to search. So I like to search a few things. So let's do men are trash mm-hmm. in Twitter, right? Men are, no, better yet, men trash. We only got to put the R. <laughs> let's let's don't even put the R. Let's just see what comes up. And I'm gonna tell you a few of the ones that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, very first one could have spoiled someone's son today, but sadly, men are trash. Then you have what is this? 
beer women is buying teddy bears for men are trash. Be wise. Not sure what they meant by the grammar on that one, but we'll continue. I don't care if tomorrow is Valentine's. Men are trash. Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's scroll. Cause I'm getting, you know, these days everything is like Chinese, it's like like Japanese or Chinese, like anime. Anytime you search anything, it's wild as hell. But let's see, let's see, let's see. Hmm. Hmm. Men are trash. Men are trash. Okay, this is the last one I'll give. All men are trash kind of removes the possibility of men being held fully accountable for their shitty behavior. Don't lower your standards for men. They have the ability to not be trash. Sounds somewhat constructive. I'll take that. Now, there was dozens and dozens more. I just, it was long winded and so on and so forth. But let's type in women trash. Mm. Let's see what happens. Um, Oh, this is terrible. I'm mad what came up first. <laughs> oh my God. Twitter really needs to like crack down on some of this shit. This shit is obscene. This is wild as fuck. But I digress. Um, what I'm seeing right now is more Japanese porn, porn, porn. Porn. Um, yeah. I'm basically not even seeing a full phrase right now. What is that saying? I'm literally saying I'm literally just seeing like broken up things. Like I'm never seeing the phrase like women are trash. But even in that, you say you see a lot of porn. I'm seeing a lot of porn. So I wonder like what does that even say, right? To mm-hmm. what does that say about us, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's literally, I think the first thing I'm seeing that's even giving anything is that uh I really want to know what is is that causes women like Natalie to fall for yeah I don't yeah this is yeah this is talking about some love is blind nonsense and just trash and women are in the in the thing so that's terrible um, but yeah I keep getting more like the very first top thing I got was porn it was literally three naked dudes throwing a woman in a trash can and then starting to have sex with her wow yeah. <laughs> That was that's like dead ass the yeah, that's dead ass. So huh, what does that say? <laughs> exactly, right? Like that's data. That is some data. <laughs> I, don't I don't know what, but golly, ill. Nevertheless, uh that was hell of a that was hell of an experiment. <laughs> I think um because I didn't I was not expecting that. I was just expecting <laughs> it to be a lot less things or a lot less being said, but it was a whole lot of um a whole lot of graphic shit. Uh, what I what I want to reason why I wanted to do that is because I think um, just men men being trash is something that's been honestly a phrase you could have put on a t shirt in two thousand eleven and it was still held up uh, to this day in terms of a phrase that is still said so widely and it, and it means what it means. Um, I've had a particular relationship with the phrase that I think. Uh, Honestly, where I just kind of accept and I understand it is one of those hit dog holler type of phrases that you like. I don't take it personal because I understand what's being said. And I do understand the underlining of it being like 
y'all got to fix this. If you're not trash, then y'all got to do something about the things. If you, quote unquote, are not trash. But what do you think about when you hear this or you hear this rhetoric online or see this rhetoric online when it comes to men who are trash? What do I think of? I mean, I feel like first I got to translate it, right? Because I feel like how I hear it, niggas ain't shit. Yeah. I think it's synonymous, right? Very. But I think that's the 2011 and so on to current time message I definitely hear, right? But um, I think what it truly means, I think we take it out of context a lot of time as men and the hit dog will holler or we're like, I'm not that one. And maybe you truly are and you're trying to say, but there are other options, et cetera. But I think there's something behind it. Um, Like you said, and there's this idea in that one tweet that talked about holding people accountable. And that's, I think, what the true meaning is behind it. And it's not, we don't always get there. But I think it's this idea of holding people accountable. Most most times people say that after they had a negative experience with a man, like immediately after they might still be feeling the experience, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, I understand why you feel that way. And it maybe still isn't fair to generalize it, but we do see patterns that arise. Yeah. Um, and whether we want to admit it or not, we, when you get behind closed doors and you're with your boys, you've seen the patterns, you yeah. know. And it's real. It's, it's If we just being honest, it's real. Especially when we get to the college environments, when mm-hmm. you think about the ratios, you know the ratio in the AUC? Was Hell like yeah. Hell yeah. Men are take advantage of that. I think it's human nature. People take advantage of that. And I understand why you feel like we trash. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's some, like you said, right? There's some validity to that. And it's not everybody, right? So how can I hold this person accountable while still giving them grace to potentially change, right? Yeah. Which I think is, is the really important part, which is maybe where it goes too extreme because kind of like that one tweet talked about, it sounded like there's this idea of like, it can be too much. Like let's leave some space for change and holding them accountable to do something about it instead of just throwing them away, right? Yeah. And with Seth saying, uh, throw the bath the, the bathtub water out with the baby kind of thing. I feel like that's kind of what happens. Um, even though there again is a, purpose i feel like and what what's being said yeah i i think um the interesting thing to me is that um there is a there is definitely some you know just objective let's throw everything out <laughs> let's like let's get rid of all of y'all if we didn't let's hurry up and let's not use y'all anymore we don't need y'all for anything type of energy and i think the sad part about it is um that is, I think that is an aspect that it, I think, would could change. I get exactly why because of the reactions to particular things, because there had that people haven't been proven otherwise. Like they haven't met that many quote unquote good men or examples of people who are just giving that, you know. But what I've recognized more than anything is that uh, I really believe in the um, the Pygmalion effect. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard the name, but tell me tell me a little more about it. The Pygmalion effect is essentially like when you uh, give someone a positive, essentially just acting out of positive reinforcement, like allowing that to be the what you do to get the yielded result that you want. Yeah. The best examples that you can think of it as in a real world context is uh, for a coach and a player. For a coach to encourage a player who is not doing well will actually make them do better because the coach expects more of them. And they're expressing that expectation. While if a coach deprecate, you know, it's kind of so, you know, is deprecating to this particular player. Like, well, I don't expect you to do anything anyway. I don't expect you to be any better than what you're showing me right now. 
which are phrases and statements in that, in that same energy to a lot of men. I don't expect you to be better than any other nigga out here. Oh, you, all men are trash anyway, so how I shouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. What is the incentive to improve? Because the fact of the matter, and I think that's the crazy thing about it, because the fact of the matter is a lot of these women who will tweet these things, say these things, still engage with desiring relationship with men. Right. So there's this, and I think that men are, if not consciously aware of that, still aware in some way, shape or form. Like you can call me trash all day type of thing, but you fucking with us. Like you, you fucking with somebody over on this side type of thing, you know? So that's where that comes in. I think it only creates and pushes even more of that kind of um, tribal, like tribal way of kind of thinking about gender, you know, mm-hmm. like it's our team against your team and we got to beat you versus y'all beating us. We got to get something over you. Then we you know us getting something, you know, getting something taken from us. And I find that dynamic very often, you know, being in play in today's dating world. Um, I remember somebody, uh, one of my coworkers had asked me about, he was like, man, he was like, I ain't dated in like a few years. Like I just got a relationship, whatever, whatever. Uh, but it's been a few years since I've like been out here. Like I, I feel like it's probably really different. I was like, hell yeah, bro. It's real different. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah. I can't even, I can't even give you no like uh pep talk about it. Like shit is different and it's different from a context of what I told him was like, I feel like there is, either a whole lot of settling happening by now. So it's a lot of people who might not expect much out of you. And then there, the spectrum is not expecting that much. So you really might not feel, you may have the feeling of feeling like you didn't do much to kind of end up in the position of access or whoever it is. Then there's this aspect of like, you need to do so much more to get that same level of access. Like we talking about the, the fuck me, finance me, feed me uh, mentality that is uh very high, very high these days, which I respect both. Both have found a way to get themselves to that particular space. And unfortunately, both, not even unfortunately, just is what it is. They both find people that kind of are willing to kind of be okay with doing whatever it is. But I think it's weird. I think it's strange. The way that we date these days, it feels like people are prone to kind of lie or be the first, be be the ones who kind of put up the front and hold the front together as long as they can. And I don't know if you noticed that just from uh, from outside looking in, but that's what it feels like. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one who cares the least until you show that you're the one who cares the most, and now I can like I guess start caring a little bit more. You know, like I'm not gonna lean into like oh yeah I like you. I I'm not gonna say I like you. I'm not gonna say I love you first. I'm not gonna express emotion. I'm not gonna get vulnerable first. And it's happening on both sides. The man and the woman are in that way. So it's like a lot of emotionality being kind of hoarded in interactions. And people are trying to find the best ways to find sensation through certain external acts, through external gestures. If you fuck me, then okay, cool, then you down for me. If you give me something, like something valuable, then okay, cool, you down for me. Now I know something. How much do I care? How much am I entertaining this? Is this really adding to the value of this connection? Maybe, maybe not. And that's why I think that things can start with people and end so quickly nowadays. Cause it's like how much actual deeper exchange have you actually allowed to happen? You know, mm-hmm. it's very strange. It's very weird. And, um, people just are, you know, parsing out what they want to parse out, but it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting these days. I don't know. I, I feel, I honestly can say when I hear 
my homegirls say shit like dating is crazy and these streets is rough. I get it now. Maybe it's the pandemic and so many other things, but I see it now. I believe them. I believe them. <laughs> um, it's interesting because you were talking about like even the finance part. Like I feel like again, outside looking in because I've been in a relationship for a little while now, but like I feel like there's such an emphasis on money on both sides, whether it's yeah. let me show you how much money I have or how much money do you have, right? And yep. it's, we see it in the music on both sides. Broke boys don't preserve no pussy. Don't do no no. You know what I'm the saying? Broke boy propaganda. Inside, I bought her a Birkin. I did. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how I show love. Right. But it, it makes me think again, what you said, right? Like, is, is that true love? Are you really being vulnerable and open with the person and really connecting or are we staying shallow? Yeah. And I do, I feel like I do see a lot of that. Uh, and I do think people are afraid to be vulnerable. I think that's, that's a scary thing for a human being, period. Let yeah. alone when you've experienced going through vulnerability and it didn't work out well for you. Yeah. Like, I can understand that. I can understand that. I think in a lot of ways we're all traumatized from previous relationships. Right. So like, I understand you carrying around some baggage and until you get to that next one, you know, maybe you should figure out how to unload that, you know, so you're ready and open, right. Open-minded, you know, for that next opportunity whenever it arises. Yeah. But I think what I've learned, unfortunately, is that um, even in the midst of not being partnered or actively dating, you Mm -hmm. uh, can still not do anything. Like you still not do any work. You can still not heal yourself or, or yeah. a, um, address the things that occurred within your previous relationship. And that can go on for a very long time. And because that passing of time happens, you believe, well, okay, cool. I guess it's time for me to get back on the saddle because it's been a year. It's been six months. Mm-hmm. It's been two years since I've been in a relationship type shit. That's what a lot of people believe. But if you never do the thing, now you're putting yourself back into that space and all the things come up from two years ago. All the things come up from however long you were in that relationship. And I just want, I don't know. I think I want, it's a big effort that I have with myself and the work that I'm doing. And I encourage a lot more men to tap into it. And that is get into the actionable things, you know, like actionable uh, solutions to your, uh, to your emotionality, you know, because I think, to me, I find that it's the easiest route to find um, a better solution or perspective to how I'm feeling. Because if I'm just sitting around kind of like waiting or just reading or just meditating, um, which I don't think any of those things are wrong, but I think the act of like putting it to some use or doing something to find a deeper connection or deeper meaning to something, whatever it is, actually kind of helps me kind of, I don't know, process my feelings a lot more about it. So if it's like, oh, I feel a certain way. Let me, do I need to eat? Do I need to, just being mindful of those things, I think is what truly can get you out of that funk, but also get you to a progressive place where you find solutions to your, uh, just your, your emotionality issues. You know what I'm saying? And the damage that might've been done from a previous relationship, but I digress. Um, I mean, I just, I retweet. I love what you said because I feel like, like, think about it. When you cold, what you finna do? You finna put on a jacket. You finna Mm -hmm. put put an extra layer on, right? You got a problem, you gonna fix it. So if I'm sad, why don't I do something about it? Even if I don't believe it, it's an action that I know is gonna, it typically has the opposite effect. It's gonna boost my energy. So I'm gonna go work out, right? And I just feel like, I love what you said because we need to be a little more actionable with our emotions, right? Yeah. 
We just, I'm going to just ride it. No, do something about it. I'm angry. All right, go walk that shit off. Go get a drink of water. Do Talk it out, vent, right? Whatever. Do something about it, right? Don't mm-hmm. just expect it to go away. Does your coldness go away when you're standing outside in 30-degree weather in no jacket? No, you, you need to do something about it, mm-hmm. right? The same way you're not supposed to wait on the weather to change. Don't wait on your emotion to change. Do something in the moment. Yeah. Try. Yeah. You know, it might not be a complete zero to 100 change, but zero to 30, that's still progress. And yeah, it's a lot warmer. <laughs> it's a lot warmer. It's a whole lot warmer, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, that's that's what I've deduced. And I think the thing that I encourage my friends for, you know, no matter, no matter what they're, uh, sexual orientation is to like approach dating as you know in the intentions that you want it to be now that we're living in the days where there's so much more vocabulary that's just in circulation you know like you're hearing heterosexual couples talking about you know open relationships and talking about uh non-monogamy and talking about uh things that are just way more fluid even you know what i'm saying like there's i've, I've seen more conversations being had about like Hey, I didn't, I never, for the the past almost 30 years, I never thought to, you know, sleep with someone of the same sex, but I kind of desired it. And I want to talk to you about that. And if that's something that we can do together, if that's something that I can do and whatever that is. And it's like, these are good things. You know what I'm saying? Like this has been, this is way more progressive because in my mind, I think that um, it's all coming together to my, to me now, like as an adult, understanding how somebody can be in a lifelong partnership and them change over time and them grow over time into more of who they are. That makes sense. That's why I've like eased up on my opinions on, um, on like Will and Jada, for instance, and them mm-hmm. saying how they are, they're never going to break up and they're going to be lifelong partners. And they commit to like always being happy and all these various things. And then things get unearthed about their relationship that seem unconventional. But at the same time, it's like, but I get what they buy. I get what they're agreeing to. Like if they're talking about the partnership, their family and what they're going to do with each other. I think people usually usually attach and project some sense of like miserable, like miserable uh, aspect to their relationship. Like, oh, they got to be miserable. They just stand in a relationship. They just it's cheaper to keep. And I was like, all those things could be things. But also, what if it's literally like the thing that works? You know, like I don't want to be with anyone else in this particular capacity where we're making decisions on our lives together or we're making decisions about our children together, where we're doing all these particular things. I don't want to do that because the thing that I really just desire is some type of poly connection where it's like, I just want an, 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 another person to do this with another person to do that action with uh, this other intimate action with, but that doesn't mean I have the desire to have a full term, like a full and all around partnership with them. Um, I think that I don't know. It makes sense to me, but I don't know what. How have you, how have you felt about this new wave of like dating and dating becoming less uh, conventional as it used to be? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I love it. I love it. And the same way you talked about, right? It's more open, right? We can. Yeah. Have, I think uh, in the spaces where I've seen like sexually liberated folks, it's been where I've had the most open conversations and accept feeling accepted Hell yeah. whatever you are, whatever you enjoy, whatever you're into. Right. Like, and like, imagine that, right. Imagine you can be with somebody who truly 110% accepts you for every corner and crevice of who you are. Right. And I think like you talked about Will and Jada, obviously I don't know them, but you know, in the hypothetical, it sounds like 
that's maybe what they did, right? Well, yeah. like they, they're willing to accept each other and their circumstances and their changes over the years and what they want um, and still be with the person. And I think that's, that's, I don't know, I, I think that's really, really, really love. And I, I've had some conversations with folks that are in open relationships and, and talking about how my libido just isn't like that and that my partner's libido is. And go ahead, do what you want. Just leave me alone, you know, because I don't want to be bothered. And that works for them. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, don't yuck somebody else's yum. You know, if it's not for you, that's fine. Like, why are you so pressed, right? If, it, if you just want to leave it alone, why are you so, just leave it alone. It's not for you, right? You know, so... Mm-hmm. If you don't want to go to the, the swingers club, okay, respectfully tell your partner you're not interested in that, right? But you don't got to yuck. The swinger club's young, you know? <laughs> yeah, let them, let them folks, yeah, let them folks yuck. And they, and they, and they young. <laughs> let them go on down there and go, let them go on down and get them some young. Um, <laughs> no, but no, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to deep dive because uh, since we spoke, you were, you were pretty early on in starting your, uh, starting your, uh, like just rebranding and starting your page um, as the Black Loveologist, which I've been enjoying so much. I think you've been really giving, serving up some real, just honestly, just straightforward, tangible <laughs> information and vocabulary and, um, and and just concepts that we all need to kind of take in and consider for ourselves, genuinely for ourselves, before we even talk about you know, bringing it outside of ourselves, know what it is to us. You know what I'm saying? Know your blood type before you try to ask somebody else their own type shit. Hello. You know, um, <laughs> sweep around your own front door type shit. But I wanted to, it, it was a few of them that came that, you know, that you posted about that I wanted to um, kind of unpack and speak more, you know, speak more thoroughly about. And the first is one thing that I have, feel like I have so much knowledge in firsthand. And I bet a lot of us probably do, but don't even know that. Uh, we've probably experienced this. Um, and that's codependency. Codependency is something, and I got I have I put up a definition. Let's 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 let let me let me read. Let me uh let me read. And this is I'm quoting this from the uh mentalhealthamerica.org. Uh codependency is a learned behavior that can be passed down from one generation to another, which I thought was interesting. That's why I chose this. It is an emotional and behavioral condition that affects an individual's ability to have a healthy, mutually satisfying relationship. It's also known as relationship addiction because people with codependency often form a main or maintain relationships that are one sided, emotionally destructive or abusive. The disorder was for, oh, okay. That part don't matter, but nevertheless, um, but they say codependent behavior is learned by watching and imitating other family members who display this type of behavior. Thought that was extremely intriguing. Um, tell me, like, uh, when did you first learn what codependency was? And I guess, can you give us any type of, you know, I guess, real world example of how how it can show up in your relationship, I guess? Mm. So it's funny, I learned about codependency in therapy for myself. I didn't learn about it in the books, right? I've been in school four years now for counseling psychology, and I learned about it from my therapist, um, which is ironic because I think uh, it is. And it's funny because he always talks about like how it's, 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 it's the, if it's one thing I can go back to school and study is codependency because it's everywhere and we don't see it. Yeah, that's why, I, that's, why I say, I, I, that's why I wrote it down is what I say uh, mm-hmm. is so common. Like codependency yeah, is so, so common. I started to get into it and understand and I was like, dang, wow, this is crazy, right? Because it's two different, I think, 
I kind of consider two different flavors, right? You can be the codependent person that feels like you always have to do for somebody. I'm pointing at myself. That's me. Like I always want to please, right? And it's funny you start talking about the the family aspect, and I haven't yeah. heard that. But when I'm thinking, I could see that even in yeah. my own my own self. My mom was always the doer, right? That's 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 what mom does. She does, and I now try and imitate that in my relationship. What do you need? Let me know. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but again, like it can be too much, right? You need to be able to separate and be able to have a healthy relationship without doing and be able to not put your needs aside for that person. And then the flip side I hear about on the other side of the spectrum is the person that's always pulling out from somebody. What are you doing for me? What are you doing for me? Right. Um, and that's kind of the two, the biggest ways I see it or hear about it is kind of those two sides where they are the person that's always giving or the person that's always taking. And they're both, it's not like one's worse than the other. Too much of anything is bad. And you're not getting your needs met or not considering the other person respective to maybe where you fall on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. I think I see something I'm still continuing to learn about, but yeah. I think when I post stuff, it's like, this is feels either relevant to me or like this was relevant somewhere throughout my day to somebody and it meant something to them. So let me, let's talk about this a little more, but I mean, I think it's really important to really think about because it's one of those things that can fly under the radar, especially I think on the side for me, at least right on the side of like, I want to give to my partner and I always want to do for them. You would think that's fine, right? Of course you should want to do your partner. But again, there's balance, right? Does that mean you're sacrificing your needs when something comes up? Are you still addressing it for yourself or are you just not saying anything to appease your partner? Mm. They might be leaning too far into codependency, right? Then that might be a little too much. That addiction piece was really interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I think it's a, um, especially when you're, you're both, I don't know if it's a situation where you can be code. I'm assuming it's a situation where you can be codependent only on a one-sided basis. If somebody else is kind of is with you for a different reason. Um, but one side of the relationship is definitely becoming codependent and, um, and they're just following a role. I guess you, you both end up becoming that way. If you maintain a relationship, um, I have like actual real world experience in it as well. And I think um, so many of us might not even know how it can show up. And I think, you know, to be candid, I think it was uh, an aspect of us not only being long distance, not only being not only being in a particular space mentally, it felt so much like we both were desiring something really heavy for each other and really deep from each other. Yeah. And there was so much uh, kind of protection and preservation that was present. Like I'm doing like I'm doing I'm choosing to do a particular thing that is either trying to push you away or trying to call you closer to me because of this codependent because of, you know, our codependency, because it's like I really don't like the fact that I need you. I don't really like the fact that I can't do without you because I literally have no other option. It feels like I have no other option. It feels like I don't have another person to just be there for me in a particular way in the way that you've been there for me, Um, because it feels uh, so vulnerable, you know, because coupled with that feeling of, you know, I can't live without you's and all those deep feelings that people can have when it feels shaky. How the hell do you think that computes to your heart? Where it's like, I feel like I'm going to lose you, but I really do feel like I cannot like at this current time where I'm, we're both low, we're both at a low frequency. We're both depressed. We're both anxious I don't want to lose you right now, but I don't like the idea that I have to kind of have you. <laughs> so there's this push and pull that, you know, that occurred with us um, of like, 
do you really want to be here? It feel like you don't. If you don't, let me know what's going on. What's up? Multiple breakups, multiple makeups, long-winded this, long-winded that, a whole bunch of like false self-advocacy, which is what I didn't even realize I was doing because I think I thought I was going to get my desired result. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to lean into this this time. I'm gonna, she, if she want to, next time she just throw out this fake breakup, I'm going to just be like, yeah. And um, thinking like, it's all, all she needs is a little bit of time to kind of just not be in this situation for us to get back. We'll get back though, type of thing. And it really didn't, really wasn't a, a good plan at all. I think I just didn't know how to stand up for myself and gather and get, gather myself and also get what I wanted ultimately. Because I never didn't want us to, you know, I, I don't think I ever wanted us to be in that particular situation. But once I did that, it only created this spiral of situations, you know? Um, and it's unfortunate uh, because it's like, I know it caused pain for the both of us. I know it created a weird situation. And I, I want more people to assess their relationships in this way. Like, how much of, like, really assess what you get, what you get from this particular relationship and assess and evaluate the reciprocal, the, 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 the quotient on reciprocation. Like, how much are you actually giving back? How much are you getting from this? Is somebody with you because they really feel like if they're not with you, they won't be with anyone? They don't feel like they they don't feel secure in themselves. They're only with you because they feel like maybe you've made them feel a particular way about themselves or you triggered some particular traumas about themselves. And I've heard the stories. It's fucking sad. You know, um, so many women I've, you know, have heard speak to, you know, their partners just, you know, emotionally abusing them in ways, telling them about, you know, you, you, you're you fat and you're this, you're that, and you're not da-da-da. Nobody will want you. That's why da-da-da. Like, you, you're going you're gonna to never, you'll never leave me type of thing. And it creates this idea that they start to just believe. It's like, well, shit, I guess you're right. I guess nobody would want me. I have gained all this weight. I have done this. I have done that. I haven't done this because I'm just so into this into this particular relationship. And um, have, I want everybody to feel empowered to know that that's not a situation you got to stay in. Um, you're not truly dependent on this person. Um, it just emotionally, you've allowed yourself to like be attached to that. But nevertheless, it's interesting. Um, I'm not sure if you're your therapist or anything that you've read kind of speaks to uh, evaluating or finding possible solutions to this though. Yeah, I was thinking, I think the one thing that that came up, two things, I guess, with codependency in general, like in the, even the, like the narrative you were given, you know, for your own experience, right, is I give absolutes, right? We have this, it's either this or it's that. Yeah. It's either that. Or, it's like, no, there's a lot more gray, especially in a relationship. Hell like, yeah. I can feel multiple things. I'm angry, but I'm also anxious, right? Or I'm sad, but I'm also kind of happy or relieved or whatever that looks like. So like, it's important to leave space for that and like not making absolutes. Well, you said this and that means it's like, well, let them tell you what that means. Don't, don't speak for them. And then the other thing I was thinking about is being honest with yourself, right? Like you have to sometimes do a, a camera check and evaluation, right? Like is, is my loving healthy? And sometimes I don't know if we're able to evaluate ourselves, right? Sometimes you need that third party, ideally a therapist, shameless plug, of course, but Sometimes maybe you have to be mindful of who's in your circle, but maybe a trusted friend, like, you know, this is what's been going on in my relationship to just give you a perspective, to just take a step back, right? Throw everything on the whiteboard and, and just look at it. 
Like I think it's really important to to sometimes do that, especially when you feel like you get to those points because you know before it gets bad where things are getting stressful, right? Maybe I just need to approach this differently or being honest with yourself and this isn't necessarily working for me. It's kind of getting me something, but this isn't, I don't feel like myself. Yeah, I'm giving this person everything in there, receiving it, but like, I don't feel like I'm fulfilled in a particular way. Like be honest with yourself and start to communicate that with your partner. Um, check in with a, you know, trusted or third party that's maybe going to be as, as unbiased as possible. The perfect third party for that is a therapist. So hopefully you can do that. But um, I think you really have to be honest with, with how you love and really check in yourself. And am I carrying something that we talked about from that, that came from a different generation or that I learned or saw my parents or caregivers do like, you really got to check in with that. And sometimes I feel like we truly need a therapist to do that. You need somebody else to, to check you. Hell yeah. I, I, I agree. Um, that's been the joys of going to therapy is just, uh, coming into realization that, Oh, I need to, um, I need to be uh, centered in the idea that I am don't have all the, the answers. The answers may not be something that I need or can find right now. Like, I don't know. Therapy certainly created a space for those uh, liminal in-between spaces for me. Like, it's okay to be in the middle of it, you know, where I'm not either or I'm, I haven't made a decision. Just kind of like in the in the midst of kind of, you know, in the in-between. And that's okay. Like that's a choice you can make to just ground yourself in the in-between until something happens, until the thing that you've been wanting to figure out comes to you or you have more clarity on it. Because it may be a reason why you're in the in-between. Maybe a very specific reason why you can't go either or. Uh, but nevertheless, I want y'all all to, you know, assess your relationships and, you know, on a consistent basis. How... Slight tangent, tap in with your partners on a regular basis. I was just about to say that. I feel like check-ins is something that I've, you know, made into something that I really, really enjoy and admire and want to bring into my next relationship. Uh, because for me, I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea of the only time we really talk about a relationship is when we're upset. Like we dead ass only talk about us and our relationship and the quality of our relationship is when we are kind of when something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like in the way that we talk about it, when everything is good, is really just a breeze, kind of like a passing by. Like, I'm happy right now. I'm out of that. And we just don't we don't we don't speak more to that. We don't allow that to fill the room. While if there's an issue between the two of us, we allow that to fill up the day. Mm. We allow that to change the mood of the day. And um, in my mind, I feel like. Therapy plus check-ins really can create more space and room for you to choose your battles differently and um, also be able to collect yourself and um, and respond more than you react. Like, because if I feel like so much of, you know, being in a relationship is just reacting to your person. It's just being like, well, like, well, you did this, so I said this. Mm -hmm. And for me, i rather come from a space to where I don't, I'm not doing all this fucking damage control. I'd rather actually just be responding and presenting myself as me, not as the, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that version of me. Because then, mm -hmm. then what are we doing? Because the impact of that is still there. Regardless of me not meaning to say that or not meaning to go that way, you still feel like that. 
you still, I still hurt your feelings. Even though I ain't mean to hurt your feelings, I still hurt your feelings. That's not what I meant to say. I said it though. Now you heard it though. Now you haven't forgot it either. So I still got to deal with that regardless of how un, uh, I guess, um, disingenuous the negative act was. It's still one that feels that feels real. Um, so yeah, slight tangent, but helpful one when we're talking about what we're talking about. Uh, but no, there's another post that you had posted uh, sometime late last year that I think is brilliant. And I think it's one of the most unknown, but very much everybody got it, <laughs> character traits that we got to talk about more of. And that's attachment styles. Mm-hmm. And I came into the knowledge of what attachment styles were in a real way last year, coincidentally as well. Like, a few months before you posted this. And um, so it felt right on time because I was already kind of thinking about these things, thinking about these things in terms of how how I show up in a particular way and um, and what I could do with that, like what that means, you know? This is the uh, this is the Zodiac. This is the, uh, the, the house, the sun, and the rising signs motherfuckers don't want to really claim. <laughs> <laughs> but we can go all day with this, right? But no, uh, I want to read. I want to read through kind of what this what your post is saying and break down um, kind of each one of these things. Uh, okay. So attachment styles theory explains ways of behaving in relationships. It's usually informed by parental relationships and measured through anxiety and avoidance. Ah. Anxiety includes worry of concern about the availability and willingness of our significant others to recognize and respond when we are in need. Avoidance considers a continuum of comfort versus discomfort with intimacy or closeness, emotional needs, and commitment in relationships. Then you gave us a great little graphic I'm going to put right, you know, right up in here somewhere uh, about just, you know, dismissive, fearful, preoccupied, secure attachment styles and kind of how those particular, uh, I guess, modalities kind of can just, you know, shift in particular ways. Uh, a secure attachment style, which is, I guess, the goal for all of us in a relationship, um, true, secure, interpen- interdependent relationship uh, attachment uh, have a good balance of valuing autonomy and dependency in relationships, hence interdependence. Uh, more flexible and capable of dealing with stress. Uh, and then last, no, not lastly, preoccupied attachment style. Preoccupied with whether their significant others will be reliable, reliably available and will not leave them or otherwise let them down, often doubt themselves or their abilities dismissive attachment style which these adults do not trust that emotional support will be available when needed they tend to move away from relationships and minimize stressful situations even at the cost of their own needs and then lastly fearful attachment style can show up with dismissive or preoccupied tendencies usually more prone to feeling shame and low self-worth may misinterpret benevolent behaviors as threats or efforts to abandon them now if this sounds like you I want you to tap in. You feel me? Uh, but no, let's 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 go back to the front. So, the first two being, you know, kind of, I'm assuming, uh, anxiety and avoidance is kind of like these uh, more, um, how can I say, uh, umbrellas, right? Yep. The spectrums that we're on, yeah. Yeah, the spectrums that we're on. We're either, you know, avoiding or more avoiding or more anxious, uh, mm-hmm. and then dismissive, fearful, preoccupied, and secure are just variants of those. 
mm-hmm. um, variants of those, and just you have more or less of one or the other. So going back to that particular you know graphic that you said, let's you know talk about this. So I I believe that I have a way a, a more of um I think more of an avoiding attachment style. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I think I'm all, I think uh, because of just how I show up, I'm really just in particular things that I believe. Like, I don't think I um, have this idea that, oh, I don't really need, I don't really think about if you're not, if I'm not secure with you, if, if, if you doubt that we're going to be together. And I don't think I need a certain level of reassurance, a certain level of reaffirmation on the uh, security of our relationship. I'm already assuming we're good until we're not until something comes up to until we're not until like I'm get, there's a sign like something happened. I did something, you did something. Oh, now we, then now this shit is shaky. Um, but in, but in terms of like interacting with it, I think that's where the avoidant aspect comes in. So people with, I guess, more avoidant attachment styles are either, I'm assuming that they're either more preoccupied, either more preoccupied or they're more secure is the thing. So I would say with people that are high in avoidance are go towards the dismissive side. I'm like, okay. I did this right. Yeah, I did it. I'm looking at the graph like, damn, did I make this right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so people that maybe low anxiety and high avoidance, and, and then names change for the categories, like different theorists call it a different thing, sense. but it's the same, okay. Right? Okay. So uh, the dismissive, right? Like I, the way I kind of look at attachment styles is, how I dealt with stress with my parents, it yeah. kind of transfers over into your relationships. That's the theory behind it, right? So mm. like, I'll use myself as an example because I'm comfortable talking about it. My mom, if I piss my mom off, I'm not trying to be around her, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go sit in the room by myself and be out the way. I'm trying to stay out the way. Whereas some kids, they might be like, mom, look, I'm so sorry. This is what I did, right? And, and trying to amend the relationship in some ways. Mm. Uh, this is two extreme examples to get to the point. So as you get into an adult, right, and you continue that pattern, when shit hits the fan in your relationship, stress, do you move closer or away, right? So now there's an argument. For me, I'm dismissive. So it's an argument. I'm, I'm trying to move away. Like, you just told me you're mad at me. You, that means you don't want to talk to me. I got to go, right? You, you don't want to even see my face, right? Like, whatever that, the assumptions you make with that, whereas somebody who's maybe um, high anxiety but low avoidance is what would be on, on this graph called preoccupied. Um, so that shit hits the fan. It's an argument. Where are you going? What are you doing? What do you leave? You can't leave me. What do you need? And they're like the kind of the person that kind of, uh, moves closer. Right. And kind mm-hmm. of latches onto you. Um, whereas like fearful is both. Right. So it's like, I'm, I'm high anxiety, high voice. So I could do kind of either of those things. It, it kind of hit or miss depending on the day, essentially, on um, more the context, how I'm going to respond. I might walk away or I might be really in your face. And then secure is kind of that balance. Like I don't, necessarily have to move too far away i don't have to be anxious i can just kind of deal and we can figure it out like you said is that autonomous and interdependence is a perfect balance so like yeah. that's the ideal goal i feel like uh the interesting thing about it is i i want to i strive to you know get to a place where i can always curate secure attachment styles and i'm assuming that they can change can they change depending on the person that you're with mm-hmm. or is it a particular, or is it, cause I get it if in my mind, I, I get how that is connected to our parents. If our parents are kind of the first ways we kind of know how to be close and intimate with people, mm-hmm. then that's what informs us. And, but also to, we are kind of naturally attracted to particular archetypes of our parents and our partners. 
So I guess, I guess just because of just how that shit works, you might always end up being with people that are, that kind of bring that particular anxiety out of you, because that's probably what really you connect to um, more than anything, but that's just a theory, but it makes sense if we're talking about how all this shit is a thing when we're talking about just connection between your parents. Uh, But that's interesting to think about it that way. And I think that's the first time I thought about it from a a, a parental standpoint, Um, because I don't think I've made my mom upset that often in my like childhood. I think I was a pretty decent kid. Um, but I do believe that that's probably what leads me to feel very secure, mm-hmm. at least assume the position of security or maybe low anxiety, I'll say, uh, to kind of feel like, oh, I ain't worried about a thing. I'm good. Like you told me you was, you was my girl. I can call you. I can pull up on you. I have access to you in some way, shape or form. Why am I worried? Mm-hmm. When I had to learn there was a, as aspects of me that were very uh, dismissive, self-absorbed, and um, and also avoidant. I think it just de- I think it just depended on the person that I was dating at the time how um, how they made that a requirement for me to be with them on what the thing was that I was avoiding. So if it was an emotionality aspect, or if it was a a particular response or reciprocation or a particular gesture or action that they kind of needed to be reassured or feel secure in a relationship being um, slow to move on that or kind of being like, I don't, I don't really see why we need to do that. Mm-hmm. So that, I guess, I guess that makes sense in a way, you know, on how that connects to me and my, me and my mom for real. It's just mm-hmm. interesting how the hell that shit shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny too, because I think, like I think even parallel, like I had a great relationship with my mom. Obviously, we butt heads, but nothing. I felt like it was you know age appropriate, but yeah, heads type stuff. But maybe that avoidance came from another relationship, whether it's a relationship I had with my dad, right, or you know whatever that looked like, or the rockiness of that. Maybe that's where I felt the avoidance. Come yeah, from. Like that. it might not always be the. Yeah. You know, especially black families, we have mixed families, and you know, two parent households isn't always the average opinion. Or, yeah. Uh, experience so how does that then impact it you know yeah because pop's big avoiding uh yeah was very not present in my life so that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. um but you know what i've deduced I've, I've went and i don't think i've talked about this on the podcast something i've been doing kind of in as a concerted effort to kind of understand my emotionality is um really process and take real true evaluation of how intimate and close I am with my family. Mm-hmm. And that's not only my immediate family, but also my extended, you know, family as well. Um, like how much, how close are we really? How much do I really know you? How much do you really know me? Uh, for us to really have a genuine connection um, or have space to create a genuine connection. Um, I, I had to come into a sense of like, giving myself a little bit of grace Mm-hmm. Because for when it came to my family members who are grown ass people, it's like I only could have done so much. <laughs> I was a child. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be around you when I'm around you. So whatever interactions we had had a, to make an impression on me, you had to actually attempt to make an impression on me. You know that would have been lasting and consistent. So I have to like keep in mind like oh maybe my family as a whole weren't that lovey-dovey, you know, or one that he didn't really make space for that emotional exchange. So, and, and as an adult, I see that in a way, 
where I don't really see the the loves, the kisses, the, you know, walking through the doors and everybody's happy to see you and run into you type of things. It's very cool. It's very chill. It's very, hey, you know, nice little half hugs and how you been? You know, very chill, very relaxed. It is whole, it's not a whole lot of, ah! Funny, it ain't, it ain't none of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it ain't no like they might say they're happy to see you, but they ain't acting like they're happy to see you type of yeah. thing. And um, I've always noticed that difference in other people's families, but I've had particular conversations about kind of pulling things out of them or being in particular scenarios where I'm just trying to really be present and soak up kind of like what's happening in this space, what's happening in this room. Um and I deduced and what I came to and just trying to really be present in that is that, oh, I don't think I've had that many intimate relationships, not romantic relationships, but that many intimate, just close relationships in my lifetime. That's not a muscle that I've really flexed, which I find so intriguing because I've, I'm a serial dater. It's like I'm actually like almost like trying to uh, throw myself into intimacy on a consistent basis throughout my my a majority of my life up until pretty much right now into this particular phase right now where I've like probably been single for, you know, off and on for as long as, you know, for as long as I can remember. And if it's interesting that it's like for me to be so lacking in that experience, why am I, I guess, uh, drawn to that experience? I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that should be so Yeah. 110%. I think, I think it makes sense why John, cause it's this new thing, right? Like, I don't want to turn this into therapy for you, right? Like, no, 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 no. You cool. You cool. We in that, we in that, we in that area. <laughs> yeah. That's why I will make sure we're not trying to lie. But, um, it makes sense. It makes so much sense, right? This is something I'd never had. Right? Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't normal. It doesn't. And I think the first thing is like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, right? It doesn't necessarily mean your family didn't love you or anything. Oh yeah. It's not how they showed love, right? So yeah. like, it doesn't inherently mean it's a negative thing that your family's not super physically, you know, touchy, touchy and things like that. But it's so interesting to hear you say that. I do think it makes sense, right? Like I didn't have this. There's this new thing I've seen. This is, it's cool. Everybody over here hugging and shit. Like it's kind of cool. I kind of, I kind of like that. Right. And, and, you know, kind of unconsciously maybe searching for that in relationships. And I, I like that because these are the few places in, in relationship, romantic relationships where I feel physically close to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily, we might not necessarily do that with the homies. You might not necessarily do that with your, your, um, your, your women friends that are like just platonic. Right. But that's the one place you do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I could understand that. Right. I could, I could definitely understand that. Um, and I think it makes me think, right. Like how, how can I be intimate with myself? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we, you know, you know, you and I talk about it all the time. You gotta love yourself before you talk about loving somebody else, right? Yeah, so yeah. how can I be vulnerable with myself first? And I, I feel like I, I hear you talk about that a lot. We talk about with the self care, right? Whether it's journaling, whether it's really being honest with myself first about my feelings, right? Like I, I consider that, you know, I guess self intimacy, if we're gonna call it that. I'm about to be a doctor, so I guess I can make up words and shit. Right? Hell That's yeah! Hell yeah! So self intimacy, we growing with it, right? But like, how can I practice that? So I don't have to rely on others, right? And I can be, you know, like interdependent and not yeah. make it like, okay, now I'm constantly addicted almost to this thing. And like I, I have a I have my own source of it. And I'm I'm happy and open to taking it and receiving it from others, but I don't I'm not then again like 
just that addiction piece. But it makes sense. Like the way you kind of laid it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I've deduced it down to is like, okay, I had to be graceful with myself that I didn't have a, I, I wasn't born into a family that already had these particular tools and had this particular affinity to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I, I, cause I think for a long time, I think I, uh, unconsciously, uh, was okay with distancing myself, um, in ways from uh, my family because I didn't realize like, Oh, that's what everybody does. Mm-hmm. Like everybody in my family really isn't close in that way. So it's like, Oh, so I'm just really just doing what I know. It's really a, a, a nurturing uh, response because this is what mm-hmm. how I was brought up. But I think what's interesting is my mom and myself, I think, are both drawn to uh, really close and intimate family dynamics. My mom's majority of my mom's friends are like have really big families and they really do a lot of family oriented things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really intriguing about her and her relationships with uh, in her platonic relationships. And I know for me, I think mine has shown up in ways of my love life and um, and also just how I've kind of created a, a village of friends around me. Um, and, and I think it just has it, 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 we've curated it to be something where I play the role that I play in my friendships. But I also realize kind of where those can be better in that mm-hmm. same in that same assessment, that same evaluation and trying my best to make sure that. I'm always, uh, I act, like I said, actions. I've tried to be as actionable as I can, letting them know in any, especially in those moments where I feel like I haven't let them know in a long time, hey, I'm thinking about you. I really care about you. I really, you know, love you so much. Like I know we, I think our friendships really don't feel like they require so much of that because our friends are our friends. We talk to them all the time. There's usually the people that we consistently speak to and they kind of know what's going on and how we're feeling and Give us the most grace. Friendships usually are the spaces where you get the most grace to be yourself, hence why you're friends. But I think understanding and knowing what the value that they bring into your life is something that I think needs to be expressed. So uh, that's why I do that. That's why I I think to do that. Like, I got to make sure you know, like, hey, I love the hell out of you. You're amazing. And I'm so glad we are where we are. And I can't wait to get even deeper. You know what I'm saying? Um but I think in relationships, I've had to grow to a place to where, oh, I need to learn how to love myself better. Mm. Because the things that are keep coming up is this uh, feeling of um, distance, this feeling of non-presence, this feeling of like, I don't know, or I'm questioning if you really love me. It's kind of was a consistent thread in so many of my adult relationships, especially. And I didn't like that shit. That was a big topic for me in therapy and still pretty much, still really is because it's work that has to be done to kind of solve that. And it's one of those things that's not solved overnight. Uh, but I, I think I just was so jaded and so, and so upset uh, by the feeling of um, obligation being attached to my relationship. Um, and that shit really fucked me up because it felt like, I think I show up and I present the best to create a scenario where you now want to be with me and that honeymoon phase is because I feel like I'm making a whole lot of choices. Mm. I feel like I am wanting to be here and I'm choosing to be here and I keep doing these particular things because I'm there's no nothing is telling me I have to do this to be with you. Nothing. All the things that I'm doing, I'm coming up with on my own. As soon as we attach obligation and phrases and words and energy of like, this is what you must do to be with me, 
I'll comply, but I'm, I, I check out from a, from a, a present standpoint because as soon as obligation comes in, now I'm detaching. It's like, all right, cool. To keep you happy, all I got to do is this. To do this, all I got to do is that. And it detaches me from the relationship and detaches me from the person in a lot of ways. And I think ultimately they end up feeling that. And then once it's been spoken, I've learned this in hindsight, but once it was spoken to me, I'll be like, how in the hell can you question my love? I do these things. I do those things. I do all these stuff. You know what I'm saying? How in the hell can you question me? But once in hindsight, I, I see why. I see why. But um, but it's interesting though. It's so interesting. Um, but I I wonder how 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 is how would you suggest for somebody to assess their uh attachment styles and what do they do with that information once they realize what their attachment style is? Like how do they use that information in their relationships? So I mean, I'm sure there's definitely like I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's like little quizzes and stuff online to figure out your attachment style, right? So I just identify where you kind of fall. Yeah. Um, but I I think in a perfect world, right, depending on whether your parents are available, just talk to them. Like, what was your love life like? How did you love? Because oftentimes, again, if that's where it starts or whoever, whoever your caregivers were, I would just be curious what their experience was like. And then you start to see yourself when they, when they tell their story. And it's like, yeah. Damn. I do that same thing. Yeah. Right. I think that could be really insightful um, and just offer, you know, perspective for a lot of people and potentially change. I think that's a great place to start if that's available, but maybe your parents aren't around for you to ask those questions. Right. Um, hmm, then what? I would, I would, if, if you're in a relationship, talk to your partner about it talk to each other, right? And, and at least verbally reflect on how you grew up or verbally reflect on where you learn these things or why you think these things are the norm, why these are, or an example you gave, this is why I know this is what you should do for a relationship. This mm. is how you show love because mm. that's what I saw. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And even just and connecting the dots, even if you can't reach back to that first dot and, and actually get more information from them to see what other dots they had connected. Yeah. At least you can connect your own dots and your own experience. And I think awareness is always the best place to start for change. I can't, uh, yeah. I know I'm sick. I can't get healing. You know, if I don't know my tires flat, I'm not going to change it. Right. So you got to be aware of, and then aware of where this is coming from. And then you can start to figure out the change. I feel like it's almost sometimes it almost feels natural to change. Okay. I recognize these things. Okay. Now that I'm aware, I'm going to be a little more mindful when those things pop up. I, cause I see it now. Um, talking to again, a trusted partner, just talking to somebody bouncing ideas, I think would be the, one thing I recommend, right? Once you figure out that attachment style, like just talk about it. Mm. Talk about it. Cause we get so caught up in our heads and we think we figured everything out until you really say something out loud. Oh, you've been in there. We've been in, you know, folks been in there. Yeah. You, and you like, damn, I, I really think that. And you really got to really sit with yourself, right? So that's why I think it's so important yeah. to really like verbalize or put it in a journal, right? Because you really see, damn, I said that. Or again, similar effect. So I mean, I think you got to really find some actionable way, right? Actionable way to process it. Yes. I think that has to be whatever, whatever that looks like. Obviously, shameless plug for therapy, always, always, always. But always. we can't afford therapy, yeah. right? So what else can I do? Journal about it. Man, I started thinking about my attachment style. You know, how does this relate? Ask yourself a question. How does it relate to how I grew up? Where did this come from for me, right? And write about it. Really explain it out to yourself and then look at it. Because it separates it from your head, puts it on a piece of paper, puts it out into the world, 
So now it's it's separate from you. So you can examine it a little bit better without it being so biased. Um, yeah, process it. Mm. Process it. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the reality of where you got that shit from, whether it was positive or negative. Yeah. From the absence of somebody or the presence of somebody, you know? Like, mm. The absence and the presence of somebody. That's deep. Because, man, Drake said this in an interview when he, I think it was an interview when he came out with his son. But he talked about because he was talking about his relationship with his parents, and it was him and LeBron. It was a shit. Yeah, oh yeah, the shot. Uh, and he talked about he was like, and I, I say this all the time now. He's like, you can either learn from somebody or through somebody. Mm. Right? So That's if you deep. learn from somebody, they really meant to teach you that. Don't touch the stove. Do this. This is how you pick these vegetables. My mom, I learned from my mom. I learned through my dad because of different that, and I also learned through my mom. But you learn through and from people in different ways, right? Yeah, I learned through them. I'm I'm not gonna do that. You know, I don't want to treat my kid like that. You know what? I really like how that person did that. They didn't tell me, but I'm just paying attention. Yeah. You're just modeling. Right? Yeah. So don't don't negate those lessons that you learn from and through people. It might have mm. been a shitty experience, but there's a lot of people that didn't learn that, right? And yeah. now, now you won't abuse your kids. I see it all the time with clients, right? Now you won't abuse your kids because you know what that was like. You had that experience, right? I learned through them, but then you also have the positive experiences where you learn from. Mm. Damn, that's deep. That's deep. Learn from them and, and through them. You can learn from people and through people. That's deep. That's deep mm-hmm. as hell. I think even as we get as we become adults, like when you start to see your parent, like, damn, you were 20, what and you had me, or whatever that situation is, and you just yeah. are able to take perspective. That's when I feel like you can start to like the through piece starts to click for you a little bit more. Yeah. So, man, I don't know what my dad was going through. If I was 27 with this in that situation, how would I have responded? And yeah. I got way more resources because it's just generationally, I got way more access to things. So I don't yeah. know what I would have done. That's real. Back then. That's <laughs> real. That's real. And I think that uh, a big thing that I kind of wrote, I wrote down, I know I didn't talk about this in my own kind of plan. I guess my like five year plan and everything was, um, thinking ahead and like preparing myself for fatherhood. Like I said, regardless of thinking about uh, if instead of writing down the goal, I'm going to have a child by, by or before 33 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Preparing, being prepared, like in consistent compa- preparation for fatherhood. Cause in my mind, in my mind, I feel like I wanted to detach myself from that idea that, Oh, as a man, I could just, desire a child so that means I'm just gonna have one like I can just have one on my own type of thing which adoption and all these other things are things yes but in reality in reality I, I always like to remind and try to empower women around me let let it be known like you have the power to have a child without a man way easier than a man does uh by the options that are in front of you so if you want to be a mother the option is way close to you because you already did. Like you, you already got the big, you got the oven before, before you even go get the biscuits. You feel me? Uh, and while I'm gonna just be, I'm gonna just have to make an actual decision and set myself up to be in a scenario where this can work or this cannot work. But um, but I can, and I can only imagine how hard that is being a single father trying to adopt someone, or a single father trying to whatever other methods that may be out there. But, uh, but I wanted to uh, pivot to the last point. And I think it's something that we can kind of, you know, breeze through together. And that mm-hmm. being um, the beginning, middle and end of a romantic connection. I think there are particular necessary uh, 
aspects or things that are needed um, for each one of those phases. And maybe we actually came up with actually answer one being that middle, in the middle phase, definitely having those check-ins. <laughs> uh, and when I say beginning, middle, and end, I'm even considering the end, the end being the breakup itself. Because I think there needs to be more conversation about how to handle the uh, really the, 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 the grieving of a, of a broken relationship. Um, because I feel like in most cases, it's really just, we, we don't talk about what happens when people break up. We just talk about the breakup. It was sad. You know, we got to just start getting over it. We got to just start doing, it's almost like we got to just try our best to get to the point to where it just doesn't matter anymore. And it does like people communicate after a breakup that all of us have people still have sex after a breakup. A lot of us have so many things happen after a breakup and we act like it's not, or it, whatever it is. Like, we just don't talk about it. I haven't seen much being said about it. It's usually just if the things happen, that means y'all really not over each other or whatever, whatever, and all these different things. And it's this cycle of whatever it is. So I wanted to at least speak to that. Uh, but in the beginning, what would you say is a necessary, like a necessary aspect to, to, to that particular, uh, particular phase? I think the one thing that's coming to mind is humility. Especially, we just talked about kind of this generation where we're at. Everybody, what can you do for me? I think on both sides, everybody's just, what can you do for me? So I think it's important to have a humility to just be like, you know, well, here's who I am, right? And let's let you be the judge of that and stop asking what can you do for me? And I'm going to just talk about what I do, right? Um, and just being a little more open to the mutuality of that piece. Um, communication, dating, right? Really just trying to date your partner and it's mutual. It's a relationship for both of y'all, right? So it's not just the man is trying to show his interest in the woman. The woman should try and show her interest in the man. In same-sex relationships, both people should try and show their interest in each other, right? Yeah. I like to feel loved. I want to know that somebody's interested in me. Yeah. And I also want that person to know I'm interested in them, but it should be two-way street. So just keeping keeping like the high energy for that interest in dating on both sides, um, as well as the humility. I think they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Start communicating, right? Like I think it's a great time to start communicating, being open, start having those hard conversations, yeah. you know, as appropriate along the way. But like be as open as you can. Yeah. And, and you know what? I add to that by saying, um, I add to that by saying in the beginning, and I define the beginning to be where you guys have stated that this is an exclusive relationship y'all together and y'all own the things create a relationship uh plan of sorts um and what i mean by relationship plan of like just foundational planning we're talking about we're having we're instead of waiting to have particular conversations have those particular conversations early when um so much emotionality hasn't been um fostered with each other yet you know, like, so instead of you sitting there waiting to find out, if, like getting to the point to where you guys are two, three years in and like learning that they don't want to have children and they don't want to be married, <laughs> and then you realize like, damn, we never had these types of conversations early on. Like you really just were in a, a beautiful honeymoon days for a year. And then the second year you guys get even closer and then you just realize like, 
damn, how much do I really know about what they desire? And then the things just start coming out after the comfortability kind of settles in. Um, an extreme example, but it happens, I assume, to a lot of people. Uh, if not if not those particular things, something comes up that you did, could have known early on. Um, creating that foundation. Go ahead. No, I was saying just creating a foundational relationship plan. Like, we're together now. This is what it is. We're aligned in these ways. You can... And you can answer a lot of these questions, ask a lot of these questions in a dating, you know, in that dating phase. If y'all do kind of like have a particular phases broken up where you're kind of non-exclusive, but you're kind of going back and forth and you're dating in that space. Uh, but then once you become exclusive and it's the beginning of it all, ironing that shit out early, straighten out shit yeah. like, hey, do you want kids? I want kids. How you feel about this? And also make room for the in-betweens like I don't know and all those different things. If that's what you feel like, if that's what you feel ground yourself in that and allow but you need to have some sense of like way to go just so people can know <laughs> what the fuck is up and um that's what i say that's what i say but the middle um uh, my suggestion was the check-ins but I, i'll think of something else what would you say uh for that that what's the necessary aspect for that middle phase well, I'll go back real quick to just to add to what you're saying with the communication piece with the beginning. I think something that's really helpful for me is talking about conflict. How do you handle mm. conflict? What do you look like when you're angry, right? Mm-hmm. What is most helpful, right? Again, this pre-planning, no one talking about it when everything is cool. So I got to understand, okay, if she's mad, I just need to know I need to get her this ice cream and she's going to be good, right? Because we talked about it ahead of time, and I've seen things like that from people, right? Yeah. But, like, whatever it is, like, talk about it, like, the conflict. What what do hard times look like for you? So I, and what do you need in those moments, right? I think that's super helpful. Um, but transitioning to the middle, I think the maintenance, I think it's kind of the middle in some ways is the maintenance, particularly with the dating piece. I think that's where a lot of people fall off. They stop dating each other, Yeah. right? Keep it hot, keep it fresh. Let's explore. Let's do something. Hey, babe. Fuck it. Let's just get in the car and drive around. Yeah. I don't know where you're going, but just drive around. Right. Keep it, keep, keep dating your partner. Um, and then I think the middle piece is where you really understand. I think that's when you figure out if you really, you really in this shit. Yeah. Because right? we get into relationships. Yeah, we talking about that's when you really figure it out. Yeah. That's when you really figure it out. Like, okay, I'm I'm trying to be with this person, right? Because we mm-hmm. went through some, we're weathering storms. And I, I like how we communicate, figure this out. I want this shit to work. Yeah. Right? I think that that middle piece is kind of your evaluation, your true evaluation of the, the stability, the long-term possibility of that relationship. Hell yeah. Uh, and being open, being open and talking about that along the way. Yeah. And I, I'll add, I'll add, like I said, the check-ins, I love that suggestion. And also, um, you, you, you gave, you know, you gave a good example of like, you know, keeping shit spicy, actually keep shit spicy. You know what I'm saying? If you feel like you guys have the compatible, like the the sexual and intimate compatibility, do things to deepen the romance and the intimacy. And I have suggestions. There are literally card games these days that help with this. I believe uh, there's a a company by name of Best Self that has an intimacy pack uh, where they literally have questions with different colors um, that have various things within your relationship. Some, some of them actually have something that are all just about sex. Uh, you know what I'm saying? If you really want to shuffle it up and get it cracking, you know what I'm saying? It's a, 
because it's a because that's what it can essentially ignite in each other. Like you sit there and you learn things about each other. You exchange things. You you answer questions for each other to see how much do you know this about me? And it, and it be something that's fun, not something that's like a gotcha type of moment. It actually is fun and light. Also, another game is uh we're really not strangers. Uh, we're really not strangers is one that uh is a very you could tell it was made by some motherfuckers who you know who went to school who got some degrees because it's really, really uh, thoughtful, but you could tell it gets, it gets deep really quickly um, or it gets, it, they just a- ask particular questions in particular ways that really make you have to think about the things like have to take a beat. Like it's not a blue, yellow seven. It's like, um, I guess I would say, you know, like you, the fact that you actually got to pause mm-hmm. and answer some of these questions actually create uh, a space for vulnerability. You know, because you actually got to, like, keep it a bean and you got to be in the moment. Um, Yet again, can lead to sex. Um, Yeah, keeping shit spicy and, like, asking questions. Debriefing. After sex, which I'm going to do more about this particular topic. More this, understand people, that is something that you need to do. It will give you ideas. It will uh, give you clear understanding of how to satisfy your partner and also let it be known if your partner has really hasn't been fully satisfied. Because mm-hmm. I think people don't really realize that people can go through the motions and enjoy you and have an emotional connection with you so much or have or get filled up by an aspect of your intimacy to where the sex really don't be hidden for them and they'll stand by. It. They'll stick around because they love everything else. Sex could be better, but they don't. They may not know how to vocalize. They may never really have somebody who even asks. So debriefing after sex, we talking about it could be you know when y'all done lit the blunt, lit the cigarette, got the water, whenever go pee, whenever y'all need to have it. Post sex, putting the drawers back on, you know whatever it is, the cuddle. Talk about it. Was that good? Did you like that? Is it something that you know you want to give some you know some kudos to? You feel me? Because I need to let you know you did the, you did the thing. Not die, and that might that might get it. Like again, all my suggestions ended up you might keep that flame going because <laughs> that debrief might get it turned back on. We might get another round out of that debrief. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but then uh, lastly, the end. And uh, when I say the end, I really mean like y'all are breaking up. This is not one of those like we're going to take a break. It's like y'all know that y'all know what I mean when I say like the real true breakup. What would you say are the uh, kind of what's necessary in that phase? Respect is first thing that comes to mind. Just always mm. take respect. Damn, because I think that's deep. Time, like, so many times we I've seen so many people end relationships and just burning bridges. And it's like it didn't have to be that way. Man, and you're uncomfortable when you meet somebody that has a healthy relationship with an ex, and it's like I never see this. It's like no, nah, like you don't got to be that way because like I love that person for you know a period of time. Things didn't work out, but to me, you're a shitty person. So why can't I still respect you, right? Like if I claim that I loved you, then there there should be some lingering of that love, right? It might look different, but enough to respect that person. Yeah, and I. Th- that's whether it's not ghosting them and just being honest and telling them, hey, you know, just run its course, whatever that looks like. Whether it's how you deliver that message and not being disrespectful with that and the F you and da 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 da, right? Like, just gotta be respectful because, like, that's a whole ass person. That's a whole ass person. Think about, like, how you would, how you would feel, all right? And whatever the situation, whether it feels like it's blindsiding or whatever, like, just 
be honest and be respectful. Damn. I love that answer. Even though it's so simple and should be kind of self-explanatory, it really don't happen that often. Like, motherfuckers really be doesn't. big. Because that's when you hurt each other the most, most of the time. It's like, not even when you're together, not even with the act of breaking up. It's like, now I'm not with you, and so I don't got it. So Because that'd be the hardest part, just breaking up. So mm-hmm. now that I got that part out of the way, now I'm just letting my shit fly. Because I don't got to... I don't got to make it better for you. I don't got to kind of, you know, heal heal the wounds. I can just do whatever. I can be wild. I can be uh, just sporadic about my emotions and things like that. And we make choices based in that. Um, Damn, that's a good one. That's a good one. I almost made me forget mine. Um, I I would say um, to add to that, because the respect piece is so big. Mm-hmm. Uh and I guess this kind of goes hand in hand is really just, and it's truly a, a, a propaganda and bias piece for me, just because of my OG, my mama is the most mature person I've ever seen be in and also get out of relationships because I've never seen too many of my, you know, the, my just adult examples be able to like, come just, be so poised about, you know, something ending and still kind of making space for the humanity in the situation, making space for the connection that happened from that situation. So respect is one piece, but like reminding yourself that you did have something with this person. So them desiring friendship, them still wanting access is something to be spoken to. And I feel like I seen my mom handle that shit in the best of ways, because if it was an actual like friendship, if if it was an amicable split and there's and there's something to salvage here, like, all right, we can't be together. But like we are we were actually good people to each other. We were actually friends. And this is how that can still go on, you know, in a respectful way uh, to especially to our uh, the partners that we may have then thereafter. The literal tattoo on my arm is by way of a man who was is inspired by a man. It's a quote from a man who was with my mom for a large part of my childhood. And she spoke to him a week before he passed away. Mm-hmm. So she was and both of them have already had, had other relationships and he was engaged and all these other things. So they both moved on, but remained great friends. And um, and. I don't know my mom's business to know if it was ever inappropriate or not, but from the way she appeared and the way that she, the things that she shared with me, it seemed like they always were that. And they did, didn't allow for that to complicate how they moved on. And um, the reason that I'm a big advocate of that is because uh, I seen how she had one of the biggest cheerleaders and a person who could give her a real, true, explicit, honest perspective as of her as a partner. So when my mom would go to him about things in her current relationships with somebody totally different, he can call out, hey, Monica, you do be on some this and that. You do 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 this sometimes. So it's almost like you can go to your friends all day, but do your friends really know what it's like to be with you? <laughs> like what is really like on how you show up? And I'm not saying I get it if it's not a comfortable thing for everyone to do. I understand that. But I do think that, that you need to have a uh, 
you need to think about that and have a particular self policy around that because that's more than likely going to happen. More than likely, somebody's going to still try to test the access they have with you. They're going to temperature check. They're going to, hey, big head you. <laughs> They're going to do all those different things. And they could, that, that's something that should be spoken to. If you really are a person who says shit like, you know, well, you know, I know we didn't work out, but we could still be friends. Mean that shit when you say it, because somebody might test that shit out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they actually, they because y'all did have a thing. Y'all, y'all were together for however long y'all were together. And nine times out of 10, if there's so many, and especially if you were together long, especially if y'all got to the depths, the deep depths of a relationship where you met parents and created things together. And now, even in the midst of the breakup, had to literally split aspects of y'all relationship apart from each other. Yeah. That motherfucker might still be around in some way, shape or form. And it may not even be directly, but indirectly. Um Talk about that with that person on how to make that best and comfortable for the both of y'all. That's my thing. Um, but let us send it on. And my um, send it on portion to everybody who's listening, if you're listening for the first time, is uh, my call to action. And um, what I wanted my send it on to be, just like as you mentioned earlier, let's talk about self-love because we can't have this black love without some self-love. You know what I'm saying? And because um, we got to love ourselves to be able to love the people we want to love around us. Uh, give me two best practices that uh, that you either do or ones you maybe want to start to do or ones that you just think are great general ones uh, to practice self-love. So for me, I'm black. I need, I need, you know, my skin belongs in the sun. So I need to get outdoors. I think that's something... When you just be one with nature, take a walk at the park, just take a walk around the block, if you, you know, whatever is available. And it's a little cold in certain places, but when it warms <laughs> up, I think that's that's really refreshing. Um, that's definitely something that that's that's good for me and my mental. Um, and especially where I'm at right now, again, just away from everybody, check in with your loved ones. Just make those phone calls, whether it's the close friends, family members. Hey, auntie, I talk to you, man. See what's up, right? Just shoot the shit with auntie. And you never know, You, especially as an adult, you start to really build up adult relationships with the adults that you grew up around. Um, and that's how it starts. So I say that's probably two of the biggest things, whether, again, family, friends, check in with, with your peoples, right? Recenter yourself and who you are and who you come from and, you know, who you belong to. Uh, and get outdoors. <laughs> get outdoors, right? Especially with everybody working from home nowadays and shit like that. Like, get, get outside yeah. Get fresh air. Hell get yeah. Fresh air. Take a break. Right. And, and really break that that routine for a minute. Mm. Um, two, two from two for me, um, something I probably have said before, but I'm a big proponent of it is uh, one is routine. And I and I from a standpoint of, you know, you're becoming a, you're trying to make yourself into a robot, but establishing a self routine, especially for the morning, when you wake up, get out of bed doing at least in your routine can change day to day, but at least choose three things that you do on a day to day basis that uh, assist with your mental, with your spiritual and um, with your body in some way, shape or form. Um, that could be meditating, praying and stretching. It could be drinking water and, you know, stretching and making your bed, whatever it is. Those three things are three. Make sure those three things are three things that benefit you and you alone. Um, 
because you want to make sure that you're tending to yourself. You don't realize when it comes to certain signs of depression and anxiety and things like that, a lot of cases, a lot of signs that it is that 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 is the state that you're in is you're not taking care of aspects of yourself. You're not you're, you're poor hygiene or no sleep or you're just there, just non-present are real good examples of that. So it's a real easy way to notice. And once you get into that routine and when you break that routine, it really signals something with you. You know, that something is up, that's something that you're off because the routine becomes a habit. So if there's something to shift your habit, it must've been something pretty, uh, that you really need to give attention to. Um, in terms of the people around you, in terms of how you're treating yourself, in terms of all those things. But I think it's a, a beautiful self-love thing to care about yourself enough to fill you up in the morning before you got to fill up everybody else with any other action or energy. Um, and secondly, mm, honestly, I guess this is more of an, uh, a overall self-love practice is um, evaluate if you need to love yourself deeper. And what I mean by that is you might already have, cause self-care is starting to become certainly a trend. You might already have some self-care practices that you, that represent your way of treating yourself better and giving yourself some compassion. But I believe what I've learned over time, as you change and as you grow, the type of and level of self-love you give yourself changes and grows too. So take assessment of that. And, um, and take assessment of that um, consistently. Like, don't do it um, whenever it feels like you you know you need more to do for yourself. Think about these things. Plan this shit out. You know, set a reminder in your phone like every year, every six months to like assess like, is there more that you need to do for yourself? Is there more space, more bandwidth you need to create to give back to you? Um, and what are those? And, and assess those feelings and go for that walk and maybe write it down. Go do something, but just. Think about what all that you do to love your, you know, to show yourself love and compassion and nurturing. And is there anything else that you want to add to that? Um, and if you're drawn to it, do it. Maybe you keep doing it. Maybe you don't. Either way, the action and intention is there. And I think it's still beneficial to you. So just assess that shit, you know. Um, but that was descending on a portion of this episode. I appreciate you, bro. We did a thing. We did a thing. Always a pleasure. Always we, did, a pleasure. we did a thing again. And, and I know, and I know we helped a lot of people. I wanted to make sure that this episode with you, I was gonna, you know, I feel like I've already established your credibility in the first episode. So make sure I go check that out. You Can't know. Believe me now. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, I wanted to really dig into the practicality of certain things because so many people speak to being lost and feeling so many different things. Like we talked about baby girl crying on the internet about, you know what I'm saying? About the things. And, and that's, she's just one example of people who do that. I see a lot of women be in tears and be so shooken up and be so anxious and so emotional about the idea of them not being able to be partnered in the way that they believe they deserve or just at all. Like fuck it, just the way they deserve. They just don't ever think it's going to ever happen. <laughs> and I think that's unfortunate and I don't think it has to be, we don't have to live in this hopeless place of um, of love, you know, where people really just giving up. They're giving up on black love. They're giving up on love, love. They're giving up on all forms just because they just feel like it is what it is. I just need to settle in and just know that my friends and my friends, they're going to love me the best. And I got to give me a dog and just or a cat and be OK, because um, I don't want people to give up on it. I really don't. But uh, let everybody know 
how they can follow you, how they can support you, how they can do all the things. Yes, sir. The Black Lovologist. I'm going to put my hand here because we're going to put it spelled out right here for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Hope we can make that happen. I got you. Instagram, man. Um, I got some merch now. You see I'm repping HBCUs. Hey, know? yeah. I'll check the page. I got the merch. I got the SG shop up now, too, man. Just check me out. Follow me on Instagram. I'm going to keep building from there. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And you'll see, you'll see the links to all those things to his page and to the Etsy shop right here in the description of this uh, particular episode. Um, I appreciate you, bro. I really do. I love building with you. And, um, and yeah, we can, we can build more offline. If ever you need just to somebody to bounce some shit off of, I am here um, um, for real, for real. Cause it's, it's I, the, the work that you, the work that you're getting into is one that's necessary. And honestly, the work that I'm trying to pivot into is, um, is complimentary. You know, I'm definitely, you know, settling into being a, I guess a mental health advocate of sorts and um because i've seen the work being good for me and i just really want um more men especially to know um their salvation is within them but they have to do the work they have to know that it's within them it's nothing outside themselves is gonna really save them and i'm a real big proponent of that um but if they don't see it that way they don't believe in themselves and have that self-worth to know that the answers are in them then um Motherfucker's gonna be lost forever, and uh, we don't we don't have to have that. We really just don't. I just be, I really truly believe in that. But no, uh, if you don't know, you should know. You can follow me everywhere uh, at Kings underscore Memoirs. You can follow the podcast uh, at the Simply King Pod, and go and like the Facebook page at Simply King Podcast. Uh, make sure you follow my uh, business page at Life Is King. Go check out some of the services so you can get yo digital presence better nevertheless um this is the soulfully conscious podcast for humans simply being humans i've been rodney perry my guest has been chessmore simon montique phd loaded <laughs> and this has been simply king peace <laughs> the kiss that was meant truly for me that's leaving me torn how can love be so kind and so gentle and turn and be so cold? And why must my arms feel so empty for what my, what my heart still holds?